hence the dilemma with lean, right? It's like there, there are those that, yeah, want to take one side of it. There are those that want to take the other. And the answer is always somewhere right in the middle, right? The answer is both. Take both sides. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, I, yeah, it's uh, been been really fun to to watch all the, the growth that uh, EBFC has had. And uh, all the all the international listenership too, and what you're doing Absolutely. too. Like this show is good. This is about you, man. This is not the V. <laughs> this is not the V. Oh, me. I know, but but no, yeah. I I I love you because you validate everything I've been yeah. trying to make up as I go along, and you provide yeah some real world words and real real structure to it. So it's cool. You're doing some good work. Just invite me some more, and I'll I'll keep showing up when I can. Uh, yeah, what well, one of the topics we maybe we'll talk about uh, is that I, a new term I learned in nem- Nemawashi. Oh, uh, Nemawashi. Are you familiar with that term? Yes. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yes. Of course, yeah. I figured you would have come across at some point, but I had never learned known known of it before. And the more it was explained to me, I was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds like you know the, the A three workshops that that I do, and a lot of the you know the CBA stuff is essentially you know a, a form of like, you know, are we actually in the right place before we go? And the CDX as we get into the technology and the interoperability stuff is really all kind of different forms of this nemawashe that we just keep fighting further upstream, right? As contractors, like, if we could just get in there earlier, <laughs> we could do so much more. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, scheduling manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. Today's episode is sponsored by Construction Accelerator. The design and construction industries come up with and build great things, but we also build in waste in how we do those things, in our interactions, in our contracts, in our logistics. So what does this do for our bottom line or our next project? The best firms maximize their value by removing that waste and only doing what's essential to the work, what makes them money. Construction Accelerator will train you to see the waste and give your teams the lean tools and experience to remove it immediately. All online, Construction Accelerator is made up of three to nine minute videos that can be watched again and again in the field, at the office, and at home, all broken down by topic. Need to learn pool planning? We have videos on the process, how to set up a room, and how to kick off a team. Need to set up a target value delivery project? We discuss all the aspects of TVD, especially cost. Or maybe you just need to brush up on 5S. Well, we have videos on that as well. You can download and print reference materials to use on site to immediately translate watching into doing. Subscribe today at trycanow.com. Let's build an industry, not just a project. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry and transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Nathan Wood. Talk about a conversation that's just been in the making for too long, a technology-focused conversation. Welcome, Nathan. I hope I don't disappoint you. I, I don't know how much we're going to end up talking about technology, but that's okay. We'll see where we go. We'll see where we go. I think it's inevitable. I mean, we're both, number one, same microphone, just different colors. So, I mean, that's something. That's we're something definitely right nerds in, in some effect. Yeah, we're, we're, we're AV nerds, that's for sure. Absolutely. And we both have the good sense to put on headphones to limit echo. 
<sighs> yeah, if Chad Pearson's out there, he, he already knows this, that he is such an amazing thought leader and speaker, but damn it, get a better microphone. <laughs> it's amazing how like, you know, one little thing, one weakest link can just ruin an amazing conversation. <laughs> so hopefully mine's coming in loud and clear. Yeah, it's coming in great. Sound awesome. Yeah, I just want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, Nathan. Let people know who you are and where they can so, find you. So uh, my name is Nathan Wood. Uh, I sort of split two roles as executive director of Construction Progress Coalition, as well as I do consulting through Spectrum AEC. And uh, my lean journey and, and career journey began with uh, DPR construction coming out of school at University of Texas, Hook'em Horns, as a civil engineer, and uh, went to uh, out to DPR in the Bay Area. Uh, was sort of doused in uh, the, the fire hose, which was IPD and lean and BIM. I, I was a, a sort of dedicated BIM and project engineer at the time and really just seeing the capabilities in uh, sort of that post-recession lull where there was so much innovation going on just because frankly, things were slow uh, and was, was really at the, the center of that. And um, yeah, sort of got, got the bug of construction technology, of innovation, of lean, of kind of really the intersection of all three of those of people, process, and technology and, and led me to uh, do work through DPR's corporate innovation team, um, got to visit all the different offices, see a ton of different projects that were not IPD and understand, you know, that, that you can have successful projects that are not IPD. You can have not successful projects that are IPD. And that's so totally much of this possible. comes to, yeah, right. It's amazing, right. That, that, that it actually does come down to people. And so that, that's really what I've kind of founded my career on is, is kind of understanding, recognizing uh, the nuance, the dynamics, the, the personalities of, of people and, and how important that is to this business and, and how impactful that is on processes and standard operating, pre operating procedures and the, the technology that, will, that we ultimately choose and use. And so, you know, the more that, that uh, we can get ahead of that and, and start talking about the people and the leadership and the requirements up front, then we'll end up producing better process and choosing better technology. So yes, let's, let's talk about tech, but you know, I'm always going to kind of bring it back to uh, the people side because that that's uh, where, where my passion is. No, I love that, Nathan. Thank you for that uh, great introduction. What you left out, I'll, I'll brag on you, is that you've gotten to work on three continents. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the three different continents you've worked on and what kind of work led you there? Yeah. So again, being on uh, that, that IPD project, which I'm sure you're familiar with as an LCI attendee is the, the Sutter Medical Center, Castro Valley, that you, you almost sometimes get eye rolls uh, with how often that project was being talked about <laughs> I think in the early <laughs> 2010s. And I was, I was probably, you know, one of the ones guilty of uh, promoting it, but it really, it really was such a cool petri dish. And we had people coming from all over the world to visit our project. And, and I began to realize how special it was, the things that we were doing. And so it was a great opportunity when I joined DPR's uh, innovation team, uh, Atul Kenzode, if I'm, I'm sure you know Atul, uh, g gave me this amazing opportunity to spend three months in the Middle East uh, with consolidated contractors company, CCC, um, and Zuhair, their CTO out there, had me at their uh, Abu Dhabi airport uh, terminal project, this massive, massive uh, multi-billion dollar airport project that I had had zero airport experience before, but plenty of BIM experience. And so it was very interesting to come to a new country, a new type of project, a new contract, new people, uh, but a lot of the same tech and a lot of ultimately the same processes and the same data challenges and seeing how they were able to solve it. And that frankly, the, the solution was a, a ton of bodies <laughs> that they, they had totally different economics of, they could just throw bodies on counting numbers, counting all these things that we thought was so cool in the US. And the reason we could never do it is we can't afford the bodies that it takes for them to count the way that they count. So I took a lot of that knowledge and, and took that up to Denmark. So again, through uh, the SIFI program in Stanford and Martin Fisher uh, got connected with MT Hogart uh, up in Denmark and did some consulting through DPR uh, up there. So that was a, an amazing experience to uh, look at much more design build style projects. But again, the Scandinavian culture, their focus on design, like some of the inefficiencies up there where essentially you would bid out an entire year's worth of design build between a designer and a contractor just to choose one design. <laughs> and, and the government would pay both teams to go through this entire exercise for a year. And as a GC in the US, I'm like, this is just asinine. Like, we would never do this. But again, those are just the constraints of the situation that they were in. And to see, you know, 
know, innovation is innovation is innovation. And so how do you understand, come into a new scenario, understand what are those variables, which, which levers can you pull, which ones can't you pull, um, and, and being strategic and being creative about it. I mean, that's what I love to do. And, and it's been awesome to, to have those opportunities to be in different parts of the world, see those similarities and, and be able to see those differences. Yeah. That's a rare thing. Like, uh, at the airport job, you say you can just, there's the one time probably in our career, like I haven't had that in my career yet where you can add more people. It just has been. I, mean, I think we, they had fifteen thousand craft on site at any at any given time, and I mean that even just you look at tying rebar, you'd have one person. Their only job was to unroll the rebar ties into strips that were eighteen inches long and cut them and bind them together, so that the next person could take them. And, and so it was very much this unskilled craft, and how many resources you had to have because you had unskilled craft. And it was just, again, a, a very different dynamic from what we have in the U.S. and a very different, uh, you know, power system, but yet at the same time, very interesting parallels uh, to, to a lot of the challenges we face in the U.S. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting, too, to know, like, even going from the Middle East to Europe, as I hear people talking about stories and been to some conferences overseas, the struggles are real. They're the same. It's the same. It's the people struggle. Like, you mentioned the, the labor um, just sophistication or the training is different. You know, there's, there is a difference between a well-trained labor force and, uh, unskilled workers. I mean, and there's things that you have to account for. So I think that's, that's awesome. Was there any, any tech in there that you were, was new to you or were you bringing ideas? How, how did you interplay with that? In, well, well I, yeah, I mean, I think that start. Yeah, the interlocking thing of all of this was was BIM and and was sort of BIM being central to uh, 4D schedule and 5D cost and and how do we look at the model as this sort of central place where we can plan and estimate and and do everything that BIM is supposed to do. A lot of what folks call uh, digital twin today, you know, has always been you know what our vision was of of BIM. And so I think that, that was always that, that challenge we were trying to solve was how do you bring that together? And speaking of different countries, I mean, spending time and going to conferences in the UK and those that come from the BIM perspective, that's a huge discussion of, oh, well, the UK has their BIM level two mandates and they have these past 1192 standards and they have all these things which are, are virtually copycat and a little bit modified from a lot of stuff that we actually built 10 years plus earlier at Penn State and other places uh, in the US, ironically. but. Uh, uh, nonetheless, they have a government structure and a public policy that supports why they should do this. And I think so often we get caught up on and get frustrated as construction technologists on why aren't we moving faster? Why aren't we doing this? And they don't recognize all these inherent barriers that have nothing to do with technology and they have to do with public policy. They have to do with business models and and then just, yeah, the natural cultural resistance to change. That's probably what they blame 100 percent of it on. But really, that's just one third of it. Yeah, and before we got started, Nathan and I were we were dishing about uh, the people part and the the change and and talking about the L word. But uh, before we d dive back into the L word, can you tell people what uh, BIM is for those that might not know in the U.S. and definitely 4D? Yes, uh, so BIM building information modeling or model, um, often confused with building information management, uh, is essentially the 3D representation and aggregation of all the information about a facility throughout its life cycle. Um, so it began um, really with the early BIM definitions uh, in 2007 and then and the constants of it that date back to the early 90s. But it is very much kind of the foundational, I almost analogize it to uh, the internet for the construction project. In the same way, so many of these things you can't do without the internet. Uh, so many of the things that we want to do in the construction supply chain, we can't do without BIM. You just don't know it because it's kind of in the background and it's hidden behind augmented reality and virtual reality and AI and all these fancy buzzwords today. But really, BIM is is at the core of it. And so, and so, 4D would be if if 3D is BIM, 4D would be the schedule, the time component attached to BIM, and then the 5D would be both your schedule and your cost. Um, also called model-based production planning or integrated cost and production planning, all, all kinds of four-letter acronyms if, if the three <laughs> letters weren't enough for you. Um, but I, I digress. No, that's good. That's good information for people because we've got a broad audience of people with different experiences. So I think it's good to always pause and just level set. And I uh, will say Building Smart International, you know, <clears throat> all these definitions and, and everything to find more information, uh, Building Smart International is a great 
um, resource uh, for the, those standards. The IFC Industry Foundation classification is an open standard, uh, BIM uh, file exchange, and there are, again, efforts related to standards that exist out there, and we oftentimes forget that they do exist because uh, we're, we're still missing that, that motivation component that I'm sure we'll be talking about. Yeah, why do we need standards, Nathan? No, well... I personally, I hate standards. It's, it's realizing when we do need them. I'm like, ah, damn it. That's right. I guess, I guess I do need standards. Don't I? <laughs> and I, I saw, I had, I got the chance to, to get onto your YouTube channel one time and I saw that you guys had, you'd run a, it was a virtual reality meeting in a big room where people were coming into the room as if they were really coming into the room. We got to put a link. Is that link out there still? It, it's on the YouTube. Yeah, we'll definitely put the link in the show notes. You, you got it's. It's definitely one of our most viewed recordings because the the value of those roundtables is really showing up to them. The the virtual roundtables that we do with Construction Progress Coalition, um, but we do put the recordings up because as an educational nonprofit, you know, we want to be putting this stuff out there and make sure that people. Um, are seeing what's out there. But yeah, it was very cool. Uh, thanks to Jonathan Marsh, who uh, uh, turned us on to spatial.io. That is a great collaboration um, app. And, and even since then, they've come up with a new update that what's really cool about it is you can be in a room with, say, 25 or 50 different people wearing either the, the Oculus. I, I've got an Oculus 2 um, virtual reality behind me or the HoloLens augmented reality. And either one, you can be in a room and move to different places in the room. And depending on how far away you are virtually from this person is how loud they are. And so it oh, really wow. is as if you're in a room and you can kind of hear the chatter of other people talking, but you don't really hear them because it's quiet until they move on and come up to you. And then it might be like screaming in your ear. So you got to be careful, <laughs> but it's, it's really cool how they're able to mimic uh, real world experiences through technology. It just every day, it amazes me how, how fast it's, it's moving. Did you see that accelerating with the pandemic as people shifted to hybrid and, and remote working, or did, did it kind of stay on its trajectory of just increasing exponential adoption? I mean, there, there's absolutely, I mean, without a doubt, a, a pandemic component to that. I mean, I think uh, Hopin, Hop.in is one example of a virtual uh, conference platform that really blew up uh, in, in the age of like, Zoom is great, it can do so much, but I've certainly gotten to the point where I've broken Zoom <laughs> and, and it can only do so much. So that it's really opened uh, the world for another platform with larger, larger audiences and doing you know more interactive things. So yeah, I, I think whether it's a spatial or hop in or any of those, I think the, the VCs know that that's naturally where the things are gonna go. And once it goes there now, it's not really gonna go away from it. Um, and so it, I think, yeah, it falls in the same category of Zoom and Peloton and all the other, you know, pandemics. I would definitely be, be betting on that. Yeah, that's a, I know Pel the Peloton phenomenon really took off. Like I remember even driving around here um, in California and seeing like these big Peloton semi trucks just, you know, as they restocking, keeping up with the massive demand for people to start working out from home. And I mean, you're pretty well connected. You got to find out who works within the Peloton supply chain that can talk about the breakdown, the breakdown that happened, do the root cause. And cause they recovered really fast on their supply chain issues. And that recovery I'm sure was a huge effort that uh, I have to imagine had some, some agile to do with it. A little bit of scrum maybe. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely has agile to do with it. The companies that, uh, that can pivot quickly when things go horribly wrong are, they always have two things in common they believe that things can get better <laughs> and then they have some framework that supports that belief, which takes us back to the L word, yep. <laughs> the lean yeah. word. And Absolutely. I think we were talking about, uh, yeah, just people's resistance to change. And, and even you've been so forward thinking probably to some people uncomfortably innovative. Is that, has that's, that ever that's been a, a great way of putting it? it? That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. I, I have a lot of people that will, come up to me, you know, three years later and, and we'll be like, man, you know, that, that crazy conversation we had, like, yeah, you're really onto something. And, and I think that I, I oftentimes have to remind myself and not get too frustrated that I, I do think, you know, m multiple years, uh, into the future and recognizing that you still have to speak today's language, even though you're, you're thinking and trying to live tomorrow's life. Um, and that, yeah, if, if you're, if you're the only one living in that future, you're, you're living alone. And so it's only as good as those that you can bring with you to that new world. So it, just even getting folks to use things like Slack is 
I, I certainly haven't checked it. If you've found a solution, you, you tell me like what the secret is to getting people to use Slack. Like I'm, I still email people. Like it's easier for me. And it's like, that's just, it's the unfortunate reality of that path of least resistance, right? That, like, as much as I want to, like, if you're going to use it, I'll use it. But if you want email, I'm going to use email. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not going to be the whipping guy. <laughs> people have no idea like why I'm laughing so hard because. Yeah. I know. I really want to know. Yeah. Like there's definitely a story behind this that I yeah. want to hear. We were we were part of a, a a group of like twenty five or thirty different companies come together. We're doing this conference for this nonprofit that I'm that I'm involved in. Just check my LinkedIn profile and figure out which one it is, people. And uh, someone on the team said this was like before the pandemic, so two two years before the pandemic. Someone said, "Hey, let's jump on Slack instead of emailing each other because we get too much emails." And then the first time, people are like, "What's Slack?" So most of the people said, "What's Slack?" Yep. Four people out of 25 knew what Slack was when the person had mentioned it. And of the four, two of them had used it. So, so fast forward six months later, four people use Slack to make funny comments and have side conversations during meetings <laughs> where Slack never gets used. It was so uh... much fun though, because you'd have, we'd so imagine like we're in this big virtual meeting. And every and like most of the virtual platforms have chat features, right? Mm -hmm. But there are four people that are chatting in Slack in a private little group. <laughs> it was so and, and, many and they good think jokes. that no one else sees, right? I think that's that's yeah. the other like the irony of all this is that the fact that we do still have contracts and we have laws. That I, I hired a story from it doesn't matter who of a pro a project up in the Northwest that decided that they were going to use Slack for all of their. RFI and submit and kind of like their correspondence with the architect and the GC. And it got to the point where they found a pretty significant design issue and it was in one of the channels and the architect didn't like what was in there. So they decided they were just going to delete the channel <laughs> thinking that that would like solve the problem. <laughs> it's like when we still resort to our old ways of like, Oh crap, yeah. I've got to hide all my mistakes. We're, we're not going to move forward. Like these platforms are there to make these things transparent so that they can be right. known so that we can address them. But if we're coming into those platforms inherently, you know, playing the victim or being threatened or having to be defensive, it's it's going to throw the whole thing off in the beginning. And so it's, again, back to the importance of culture before you do any of these things of like whether it's Teams, whether it's Slack, whether it's email, like what, what is the appropriate right. etiquette for whatever you choose as as your tool that's that's going to work for you? Because it's, it's not going to be handwritten mail anymore. You know, like we're, we're not actually mailing letters. We, we definitely <laughs> communicate electronically or digitally in some fashion. Just which one are you going to do? And do people are people on the same page about it? Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And, and people that don't know, like Slack has an interesting history. It was actually a failed gaming uh, start startup. And then they ship, They had this good thing about what they developed in their code, very agile code development in programming. I, I could tell, Nathan, like I, I nerd down and I read up on How I Built This, Guy Raz. I, 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 I listen to the same podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story. I didn't know that story yeah. either until I listened to that. It was really interesting how, yeah, how you can pivot so quickly and, and where folks come from. And even, you know, one of our members in Construction Progress Coalition, uh, Rivet, not to be confused with Revit, yeah. Believe me, they know. They they I picked know. their name before they knew whoever it was. And long story short, uh, they are uh, this new term, IPaaS, Integration Platform as a Service, is. And when you talk when you want to talk about tech, uh, this is the new age of. Well, here's one. Have you heard of Zapier? Do you know what Zapier is? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, so I've made some Zapier zaps. is an is an integration yeah. platform as a service. It's an IPaaS. It's a platform that is only there to connect platforms you already have, right? And and so there is no really not much of that for construction. There there are those that do it, the, the Googles and the Apples equivalents of the world that say, yeah, we can integrate with other apps, but usually it's not a Zapier, like a third party that's connecting it. So I think there's a whole wave of that, of Riven and others that are going to be you know developing this iPass world that really gives us the freedom to have project scrum sessions where we define a better RFI, define, define a better submittal and you know push the button and that's our workflow. Um, but give us the tools, give us that framework to be able to define that and have that be digital. Like that, that's my future vision. Cause I know even still today, I've got the, the magnets over my shoulder and I know we need that analog freeform create creativity to really get that agile sense. But, you know, at the point where we can both 
come up with our data requirements, but also do it in a truly agile way, I think we've actually solved the problem. And you know, that's, that's what I'm striving towards. No, it's, it's a beautiful endeavor that you're on. You're on, and you picked on, you picked a big enough thing, Nathan. I'm so proud of you. Like number one, <laughs> you said like, where where you like my heart melted. Well, you're actually doing it though. I, I speak to it well. You're the one actually practicing it. So kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, well, like I realized, I tell like people ask me like, why you always look so busy? And I was like, I'm not busy. I focus on what my purpose is, my and my philosophy. That's where I focus. And then, yeah. so I have to do things. I have problems to solve in order to get better at living that philosophy. And that's why I'll reach out to things like Zapier and create Zaps to help in some workflows and. And just to take, like, I use an app that helps to do some scheduling. I mean, as you, and we're using an app right now just to have this conversation. I mean, all these things that I, that I do, like, if we had to do it the other way, it, it'd be tedious. It'd be like a flight to Denver, which I know it's going to be late. And then, because <laughs> it's just so busy. Yeah. Your airport's incredible, though. But, you, uh, you just, no, you where, you, where you have my heart. Uh, yeah. the, all the whole, the whole podcast box and everything. And like, I used to carry so much crap when I traveled with me and now it's like, why Let, let's just do it on zoom and record it here. It's amazing exactly. how much easier that is. Yeah. I was like, and even, even people push my limits. Like I was with Jason Schroeder who has the elevate construction podcast and we were in Utah or yeah, Salt Lake city, Utah's airport. And we had like 20 minutes until the next flight. And he said, Hey, why don't we do a podcast right now? And I was like, Hey, I don't know if that's a good idea, but we did it. And, <laughs> and, and I, and I told him, I said, I'm only doing this just to prove to myself that yes, we can do it. He did it, got it, uploaded it before we took off that type of like cycle of quickness is just, it blew me away. And I said, okay, you can record podcasts in an airport. It totally can. Absolutely. But oh, where man. you melted my heart, Nathan, going back, you said, I think really long-term into the future and I'm living myself into the future. Can you talk more about that philosophy? That's never been spoken before. That's the first for this show. Oh, oh man. I, I think that's the first time I've actually said it that way. So, <laughs> so now you're going to make, make me backtrack and, and explain uh, what I meant by that. And, you know, I think what, probably when I said that I was, I was channeling my, uh, many of my conversations in the last decade with uh, Sasha Reed, which if, if you haven't had her on, you definitely need to have Sasha Reed on uh, from Procore. But um, I, I think, yeah, there's agreed. There's this Sasha. Yes. If you're listening, Sasha, side note. Yeah. Side note. Show. <laughs> yeah. And I'll people, have like four more I, of those. <laughs> I got to meet Sasha at a virtual culture Academy with Procore and I've got uh, just off camera. There's like all kinds of Procore merch, like all over here that you just can't see it, but it's all over. And uh, Sasha is incredible. So like we, I agree. You have good taste in friends, Nathan. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so this was 2015 Audis university in, in Las Vegas. And I, I just, uh, uh, left DPR and started Spectrum AC and was was talking to Sasha about what I wanted to do. And, and the, the big thought in my head was, you know what this industry needs? It needs construction therapy. And, and, and I told her that and like the look on her face of like, oh, dear God, don't you dare do this. Yeah. <laughs> and and now today, you know, four or five, who knows COVID, how long, many years it's been. But you know that that how often that comes up and how often people joke and I think you know hey that's that's actually really true and really fun and that that back then you know five six years ago that would have been completely taboo, but that with everything with mental health with everything just just the whole literally our our culture of uh, has changed and so um, I think it's it's cool to to take that step back to look at videos of of what you said you know five years ago ten years ago and realize that you know what I'm I'm actually saying the same thing I was back then. It's just with completely different context. Right. And I think uh, to some degree, like I met Sasha at a, so Procore is a technology company for project management. Uh, Procore does not sponsor the show, but uh, I went through Culture Academy. So Procore, a technology company, is teaching construction professionals how to modify, change, and improve their culture inside the company. It's a, they do it as a series of workshops and some meetings, and there's things that you take away, you have to do, and then they keep in touch with you. But I think the Sasha came and got to talk to us one of those days, Nathan, and she, in my opinion, is acting like a construction therapist, hundred yeah. percent. Like, yeah. and she's really good at it. Oh, she's she's the best. I, I've I've learned all my tricks from her <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and and, and I, that I that it's... is yeah. I mean that that's what happens when uh, software companies reach that sort of elevated state of 
really we've done all we can do and now the industry needs to do its part so all that's left to do is help them do their part which you know the the l word it could mean a lot of things it could mean leadership right and, and kind of right. like what is the the leadership that is needed to really drive this stuff and and starting there um and then letting that fall into lean and then fall into standards and then fall into technology yep and then the, the best l word the love Put the oh. love back into construction, right? It's all about love. Well, because it's all about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, Sasha talks about that all the time of, you know, once you've got your, your food, water, shelter, basically you're getting paid, right? Like as a business, right. the, your, your Maslow's is, are you getting paid? Then above that is the relationships, right? It's, it's that, that love, that security, um, all those aspects that uh, lead you towards that elevated flow state, that the self-actualization um, that we all strike, strike, strive for. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's love is a huge component of it. Well said, Nathan. Well, look at that tech is you're, you're like a technologist, but you're, you're posing as a technologist. You're really a psychologist and a philosopher. I mean, this all is my podcasts are like Adam Grant, uh, you know, organizational psychologist, uh, Simon Sinek, uh, you know, that all, um, Brene Brown on vulnerability and courage and leadership like that. That's the stuff that I get off on and, and think is everything that this industry is missing. Cause I, I've gotten plenty of fill of technology and, you know, it'll continue to grow, but the, it's the whole psychology thing. And especially the, the behavioral economics and the whole go into, you know, Daniel Kahneman and prospect theory and Robert Thaler and, and the, his nudge book and kind of this, this whole idea of how do we yeah nudge people in the right direction rather than whipping them in the right direction, which I think is a lot of the tactics we use in, in this industry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's so much we can learn. And, and that's often my challenge that I, I, I get, uh, identified or labeled or whatever as, as more of a technologist, but really it's, I'm, I've elevated beyond that. It is more about psychology and leadership and culture that then leads into lean standard practices and all these models and frameworks that then leads into a CBA to choose the best technology that meets those needs. No, I, I really appreciate that a lot, Nathan and Nathan. With my appreciation of what you just said, can you talk a little bit about the the name of your company, Spectrum AEC? It's a very uh, interesting name. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what one word? Spe Spectrum AEC. Uh, when I first told uh, a colleague, Lori Spittler, um, it, it took her back to one of her LGBTQ uh, groups, and, and was like, "No, you don't, you don't want to do that." But at the same time, like diversity is such a huge component in a lot of what I preach. I mean, our, our tagline is we build people and that, you know, we didn't want to be a lean consultancy. We didn't want to be a BIM consultancy. We didn't want to be any of those things. We wanted to be the, the precursor to that, the, the, the Nemawashi, as, as we were talking about earlier, um, of, of, you know, preparing the, the soils for planting to, to get those organizations or get those project teams ready to go through a much more intensive, much more structured lean framework scrum session that frankly, I'm a little bit too scatterbrained to, to be a good scrum master. You know, I'm a great participant, but <laughs> no, I, a, I know my limits. Natural, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, Nathan, that knowing the framework, like I do, you're a natural product owner all day long. That's yes. Your, yeah, totally. That's totally. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> 100%. From what I know, and it, yeah, and we need yeah. we need good product owners out there. We definitely yes, do. and and even like teaching others how to be a product owner, right? Because like being a product owner means being vulnerable and sharing the realities of it, knowing that people aren't going to judge you; they're just trying to understand you. Because too often the customers go into those meetings with some expectation of what they're supposed to say. Or, or it's like the folks that take the Myers-Briggs and always end up with it as an ENFP, which is quote unquote, they're supposed to be like the CEO one, which like, guys, you can fake your personality test if you want to. Cause if you're, if you have the emotional intelligence to know what the answer should be, you'll give the answer that society tells you to give rather than really looking inside yourself and giving your honest answer. And so I think that's the key to being a good product owner is like being honest with yourself, right? And, right. and being able to communicate though those honest challenges and, and what you're dealing with so that those that are solving it can can really truly empathize. Now you're, you're making me flash back to some of the scrum training that we do. We teach new scrum masters, like how a product owner loses trust with their team. The first bullet point is they don't tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to lose trust <laughs> is lie to people. <laughs> You know, it's like, we do that a lot to, in this industry. 
Well, we have to put it as part of the curriculum to teach people because it's not super obvious in the in the construction industry or in some other industries as well. So it, I love that. And and one of the things just to the IPD point, because I'm such an IPD fan, but knowing when IPD fails is when folks go into those uh, types of agreements and think that they can still lie and th that there's any reason to lie. And it's like, guys, that's why you signed this contract is to not lie. Like, why would you right. want to hide something that is not in our best interest to hide? And, and it was because they were ashamed. And it's like just getting people's heads through that is a huge, huge wall that this industry needs to get through, frankly, before any of the, the lean or BIM or technology stuff for, will take hold is sort of that, that sixth sense, that awakening of like, oh, crap, I've, I've been thinking about this the, the wrong way the whole time. And I mean, that, that's, that's, those are my favorite days is the, the workshops when I can see that person that goes to that moment of like, oh, crap, I thought I, I, thought I had this all figured out. <laughs> and you just blew my mind where I'm going to have to rethink everything. Like, okay, cool, I did my job. <laughs> We got one more. We got one more in the camp. <laughs> one more. And I, I want to give a, a shout out on that, on that theme of one more, Nathan. You just reminded me that uh, we got some really good feedback from a superintendent just today. Shout out to Eddie. Thank you for listening. Uh, your words of appreciation. Definitely motivating me and Nathan to keep doing stuff like this, helping our industry get better. Eddie, thank you for working to make our industry better, wherever you are. Appreciate you. And that those little moments, Nathan, like you said, I'm glad that owners that do IPD actually audit the numbers. So, cause they're going to tell, like, we're going to hold ourselves accountable. We're going to audit this with a third party and like, let's just be honest. And, and it's okay to make money. Like the IPD projects that are successful, people make a ton more money than on the let's fight and hire lawyers. Well, we have to hire lawyers. Only the lawyers win. It doesn't matter if your side wins in the end. You're in the wrong paradigm. You're in a win-lose paradigm. You're in a fixed mindset paradigm. And I know that you're into, uh, you got to be into Carol Dweck if you're into Brene Brown. Uh, grit, yeah. I, uh, I, I bring up her stuff. Angela and Grit. Yep, yep. Grit, absolutely. No, that's uh, yeah. that stuff is, is, is a huge component. And something that, frankly, I need to educate myself more on because I find myself not really fully understanding that line of grit of like, when is it good and when is it bad? Right. Of, of like, cause grit, grit, grit is, is a good, thing. I mean, a lot of us in construction look at grit as being a good thing. That's how you persevere. That's how you get through things. But like, at what point does grit become burnout and, and you don't realize the inefficiency you're creating because you're masking, you're not, again, you're not being honest with yourself. You're lying to yourself and saying that you're okay when you're not. And, and that whole, just uncomfortableness of, of starting to have that growth mindset. I, I, I have to say, I was in one workshop where an older gentleman actually called out on the slide that I had up of explaining fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And, and he challenged me as to uh, wh why is it so bad to have a fixed mindset? Like, why, why, why can't I have a fixed mindset? And, and I, at the time I was very taken back. I mean, I think I would probably have a, a better response today. And that's what those, those workshops are for. I mean, I, I learned as much of them as, as the audience does um, from me, but that there's so much to that, that point of accepting what it means to really have a growth mindset and accepting other opinions, accepting diverse generations, diverse genders, diverse uh, opinions from, from different stakeholders. Uh, that's I mean, so much at the core of um, where, what, what's missing in this whole innovation process. Yeah. And I think just to, to steal your brilliance from earlier, it's a spectrum. You're going to have some people that are too, growth mindset where it's like almost obnoxious and you'll equally have on the spectrum going around the circle, the obnoxious fixed mindset people. <laughs> and I think for, for a better outcome, especially when you're doing future thinking, you got to have both. You need to hear both voices so you can really understand where are we and where should we go? And people flex. Like I, and there are some things where I act in a fixed mindset and there's some things where I'm totally growth. And for the most part, I think people would incorrectly classify me as whatever they think it is. Cause I'm too in the spectrum for you to classify me in one way. <laughs> well, and, and actually the way you just described that, I would say that's not fixing growth mindset. That's, um, uh, uh, thinking faster, thinking slow, Daniel Kahneman, right? You're, you're using your first brain, your quick reactive instinctual, because you've trained your brain well to do your non-thinking 
reaction and response versus your slow thinking would be taking that time, being a growth mindset. Is this you know, rethinking and questioning yourself and reassuring you know, that that would be the, the slow thinking. So it's and I'm sure if you ask, ask Carol, ask in, then they'd probably say that there's overlaps between the two. But I would say that, yeah, it's more of a, a slow and fast thinking in that case. Yeah, slow and fast thinking or just diversity of thought. Is we, we need more of it. We need the spectrum. I want the full spectrum. The full spectrum AEC. <laughs> yeah, and which means A, E, and C, right? And, and right. whether it's conferences, whether it's project teams, like my goal is to be doing these types of agile design thinking scrum workshops with project teams, like with the owner and the contractor and, and, and everyone that has already gone through some sort of a culture academy or they've gone through that organizational transformation. But I've found myself now doing a lot more of this organizational transformation because that really is the precursor to being able to do these projects. But again, it's like being always a few years ahead, you know, my, my goal with Spectrum AEC has always been to help project teams at the intersection of A, E, and C. But for right now, it seems to be mainly uh, trade contractors, MEP, and general contractors, and those technologies that serve them that are raising their hand saying, yeah, we, we know what we don't know, and we want to work together to, to learn more about it. So hopefully that'll continue to grow, continue to grow to owners, and then make its way down to the, to the project level. Yeah, we're seeing massive shifts. Like you mentioned all these lean tools that, that you're good at and you're doing workshops on, but then you're also focusing on the culture part, the people side and living up to your, your philosophy of building the people up for your organization. I think it's important to note that there is a shift in the industry. It's been happening for a little bit, like you mentioned, and we're spending more time, like of all the things that you offer, it seems like you're mixing in the, the culture part, the soft skills part, probably every time. Is that a safe assumption? It it almost has to be, yeah. And 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 a lot of this has been, uh, you know, a COVID pivot. You know, you talked about you know agility and stuff. Uh, one of the things we did with Construction Progress Coalition because we were primarily an organization that focused on going to live events and conferences and having meetups at those bigger events, whether they were technology, Autodesk University, or, or Procore Groundbreak, or or an AGC IT forum. Um, but now that we had to go virtual, we, we said, okay, well, we're, we're pretty technology savvy already. Let's figure out what we can do with Zoom. Let's you know, figure out what we can do with these breakout rooms and really was able to, to take over uh, what was that void of the, the kind of interconnection and uh, folks turning on video cameras, you know, something that was an unheard of thing to do, you know, pre-COVID that nobody would ever, even I wouldn't really turn my camera on unless it was uh, some sort of a meeting where it was uh, accepted to. You know, I think it's, it's interesting how, again, that, that much that, that culture has shifted to allow these things to happen. So the more we can use these opportunities like, COVID or this new stimulus package or whatever else as, you know, the, these silver linings to help us drive forward uh, what, what we really need, which is um, some level of standardization that also somehow makes our lives easier. <laughs> and so I can think of a bunch of, you know, iPhone and other, you know, examples where that's happened over long periods of time, but it's really hard to do that in, in the B2B world and especially within AEC. It is because it's very disconnected. The industry remains very disconnected and siloed, just the nature of how we things are procured, delivered. And there are 11 million people in the U.S. working in construction. And I heard the stat for worldwide, it's one out of six people are in the construction supply chain one way or the other from, you know, owners that are serial builders to developers, real estate folks, support groups, technology companies. That's all in that one out of six. It's a massive number of people on planet Earth changing our environment every day. And I think I wanted to ask you about uh, what would you offer some advice to somebody that's struggling to make a change in their organization, Nathan? Because you've been you've been a change maker. Well, who, who uh, I, I think you're going to have to clarify for me which persona we're talking about. Are we talking about an executive leader, a middle manager, or a uh, fresh young young uh, out of college? Uh, Greenhorn. Oh, oh, now that I have that's a, a, that's a different answer for all three. Yeah, now that I have a menu, let's start. <laughs> door number one, two, or three. I'm going to go with the door in the middle. Let's go middle management. Somebody who's been in the business for about a decade and they're struggling to make a change on their project. What would you tell them? Um, you know, I would look at and do a root cause analysis. I think a lot of times when we we struggle and, and oftentimes play the victim and try and point fingers at, at why we can't change something that we want to change. What I try and do is I try and look at, is this challenge that I'm facing 
internal to my organization, meaning it's coming from executives uh, down, or is it external, because uh, I'm most likely a project manager, coming from my project owner, and it's sort of this, this rift between what my executives need internally and what my project owner client needs externally. And so often that, that rub happens sort of at that intersection. So the more that they can articulate in a, a business logic, the impact and the waste and the frustration that they're facing, and, and not just have it sound like complaining, but have it be more of a compelling message and a story of, well, you know, what I've learned through my research is that through each project with this amount of time spent by each project manager equates to, you know, X number of dollars of waste every year that, that our company faces. Like, <laughs> I would like to propose that we solve this problem by doing X. And it's like, who's going to say no to that when there's a, a, an extremely compelling business case around that? So for those middle, middle managers, it's, you know, follow the money that, that as, as much as I hate that, cause I, I'm, I'm not that type of person. I'm not motivated by money. I'm not in sales. I'm, I'm very much the mastery of skill person. That's like, Hey, just pay me enough so that I can go be creative and I'll be happy. Uh, to, and a lot of engineers are, are that way too. Um, but you know, knowing what those motivations are and, and using them to your advantage, that, that's really the, the emotional, emotional intelligence that allows you to move up in organizations. Cause at a certain level, it doesn't matter how technically savvy you are. If you don't have some level of business and, and psychology and emotional uh, intelligence, you can't continue to move up in the organization. You can't get the changes that really ultimately you want. No, that's great advice. And Nathan, that's you're hitting on a trend that's happening right now in the industry. There is a record-breaking number of people quitting their jobs in organizations where they're leaving in droves because the, the emotional intelligence of the leadership in those organizations is, is low and people have just said, I'm not going to put up with this anymore and they're leaving. I just heard a statistic at a conference last week that the attrition rate or the the turnover rate in construction is like 5% per month currently, according to uh, labor statistics here in the United States, which means like for every 100 people on your job, five people are going to quit every month, like just because like they're done with the industry. And that, and we have like over 1 million unanswered job openings and the number is growing. I just saw an article in uh, Yahoo Finance today that this is the hottest employment market in the history of history for employment markets. <sighs> so now, how, what advice? So you're saying you I should to... go look for a job? Is that, is that what you're no, saying? <laughs> you have a great job. <laughs> I do have a great job. <laughs> so what advice would you give an executive with your experience? With your experience, like if there's an executive firm that's trying to implement some technology and, and their company's struggling to get adoption, what advice would you give them? Um, culture, culture, culture. And I think that's, that's why, frankly, if it, when you talk to Sasha, I know what, what she'll say about Procore's Culture Academy is that the, uh, the customers were coming to them saying, we don't know how to retain and grow our talent, that, that, that was actually their biggest challenge and that they saw Procore's ability to grow just exponentially. And it's like th this company in Carpinteria, you know, just South of Santa Barbara, which frankly, their airport is a lot more sizable now than it was before, but you wouldn't think of as like some business tech hub, right? But yet they can cater all these people and, and set up the appropriate, you know, remote work. And, and they just, they have a culture that is more accommodating for this new digital remote work, kind of flexible results oriented work environment culture. And so the more that those in the executive positions resist this, this, you know, natural tendency towards this newer way of thinking, this newer um, work-life balance or life-work life, life -work balance, as we're all uh, calling it now. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's a, if, if you're frustrated with it, but yet you're not willing to change your own practices internally, well, I'm pretty sure that's that fixed mindset we were just talking about, right? <laughs> it's sort of like, I don't know how to help you other than until you're ready to admit that you have a fixed mindset and that that is a bad thing. Like it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like it's, it's a natural tendency. We all have, you know, natural deficiencies and, and we all have natural tendencies, but that fixed mindset is more or less driven by fear. Um, and so much of what is our, our, yeah, inability to grow and to innovate is driven by fear. So the more that we can understand that and, and get rid of it, um, I think to your point on the, the transitions and the number of turnover, I think a lot of that is the fact that because so many are remote working and they realize that working for another company really isn't any different because you're not commuting to a different office. You're not, you're not really doing anything different. So it actually makes that trans it makes that barrier of 
grass is always greener or, or fear of, of the unknown less because it actually isn't that different to change jobs, and especially when the pay is more and there's competitive marketplaces. So I, I feel for the executives out there trying to hire. And all I can say is, you know, change your culture, recognize, you know, where those blind spots or those legacy policies are, uh, get rid of them and, uh, and tell people that you used to have them and you don't have them anymore. And you're going through a change process. And that vulnerability is extremely appealing and will build a lot of trust with those folks. And I think you'll get some, some great folks on board. Yeah. I like that honesty too, that you're talking about opening up and just being honest about you're in a train, you're in a change, you're in a change process. And it's going to be clunky. It's not going to be perfect. But if, if leadership tells people, like you're advising them to, and I think that's fantastic advice, Nathan, like, hey, we're in a change. Like we used to have it this way for one reason or the other. We see that it doesn't work and we're trying to shift to something that works for us. And the us is like everybody in the company. It's the executive and the people. It, it takes yeah. everybody to build. Some of the things we do are just very complex and you just, one person doesn't have all the skills to pull it off. Love that advice, Nathan. Thank you. I don't know the, the cutting edge technology stuff. Like don't say blockchain, whatever you do, don't say blockchain (laughs) drink. (laughs) Okay. I got to take a shot. (laughs) You said blockchain. Yeah. It is late enough in the afternoon. Yeah. Digital twins. The other one. (laughs) Yeah. Digital twin blockchain Ethereum two. We should, which Ethereum, well, okay, so I'll clarify right there. So Ethereum is a specific platform for developing on blockchain that has its own currency, which is the Ether, that is different than Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is purely a financial transaction, more or less a bank, whereas it doesn't do things like smart contracts. And Ethereum is something that essentially is the intersection of smart contracts and payment systems and would compete with something like a uh, an IBM Hyperledger uh, or um, uh, Corda is another system. So like, just like you've got Procore and BIM360 and Neforma, you know, you, you've got uh, the, these different systems and that, but they all fall under the umbrella of blockchain, which is a distributed ledger technology, DLT. And then we don't have Amy Marks on here, so we don't have to say all the the modularization acronyms, which they're like, we need an entire encyclopedia. Industrialized construction. Yeah. Don't, don't make me quote it. Cause I'll, I'll screw it up, but she, she's done a great job and that's been a, a fun kind of back and forth discussion, uh, that to, to watch her really solidify those different categories of yeah. Industrialized construction that go from, um, what is it? Yeah. The, the individual components to, uh, multi, you know, trade assemblies all the way to your, you know, volumetric and modular. And I mean, the, the whole advancing prefabrication conference where I saw her last down in Dallas a couple months ago, like the, the conversations of just what is the defining separation between those different categories. I mean, that, that, that's a big discussion that those that are experts in it are still having. So it's still a, very much a, a new, a new frontier, um, for, for those, but the, the big acronym these days though, is DFMA designed for manufacturing and assembly which is again, BIM, BIM enabled, uh, but uh, a huge component that I like to talk about within the larger industrialized construction and prefab is this need for DFMA as, a, as the nimbawashe to uh, prefabrication. And uh, I was telling Nathan before we got started that I don't actually speak Japanese, but I read a lot of books and these Japanese words will come out. And the first time I saw nimbawashe was in John Shook's book about managing to learn the A3 problem solving process, which I absolutely love. And it's just it's just out of reach. It's always close. Mm. It's three feet away, but I can't lean, lean over and grab it. And, I, and it's the, can you tell people, cause you said you just recently learned what Nemawashi is. What does it mean? Yes. Credit to Nick Massey at Haley and Aldrich for, for educating me. And we're, we're going to be doing an upcoming round table that uh, the recording will be again on YouTube uh, to look at. But um, my understanding is again, pr- preparing the soil for planting. So what, what, what is the foundational elements? What are this sort of the, the pre-planning efforts um, in our world? It'd be a lot of the, the pre-construction, right? Um, before you're going to uh, do that hard work, what is that necessary preparation? So, you know, when, the more I hear and understand how Japanese culture and, and how the original lean culture defines that, you know, it, it aligns a lot with our, our cost influence curve and, and a lot of these, you know, uh, arguments for IPD and design build and the use of BIM to be able to do preparation and do more preparation earlier so that when you actually go to fabricating, when you cross that boundary of realization, um, that you're, you're much more prepared. So I think it's that recognition that while some people may look at that as 
unnecessary effort and waste. It actually is the necessary preparation that allows you to truly be efficient when you hit the, the big impactful construction phase. Yes. Yes. How'd I do? Yes, I don't yes. know. <laughs> <did>. Yes, and. <laughs> you did perfectly. I don't even have to even use an and. You nailed Pop it. quiz. <laughs> Prepping the soil and getting ready. A lot of the innovation that comes out, you mentioned some great schools. You've got some amazing background. University of Austin, Texas. Welcome. And then you mentioned Penn State. Did you study at Penn State or are you just uh, just a fan I, of the work coming out of there? Yeah, I did not study. Uh, I was colleagues with uh, Shane Goodman, who is actually one of the co-authors on the Penn State BIM Guide for Owners, and John Messner, uh, who leads up that department there. Uh, I, I'm you know, uh, friends and colleagues with him. Um, and so they, they've done, they're really kind of pioneers and, and leaders in the industry when it comes to BIM standards and BIM adoption. So I, I've been to Happy Valley. I, I presented uh, on campus before, but did not attend there. Um, and then uh, definitely a big Stanford fan as well as you go to the West Coast and everything that Martin Fisher's doing with Syfy is just, you know, really phenomenal, cool kind of leading edge stuff of what is possible in a laboratory environment. <laughs> and so I love to see what they can come up with, but then I'm always challenging. I'm like, okay, but that's in a laboratory environment. Show me a real world project where that works. <laughs> and, and then we're back at the same social problems that you know, I like to play in. <laughs> that's a good pedigree. So, you know, with the, that uh, prepping the soil, like the, a lot of the technology foundations, you know, come out of research and or startup companies, you know, trying to solve problems for business, business problems. So I think, you know, there's a little bit of resistance in the construction industry with people saying that lean is too academic. But that's the great inflection real quick on that though, is, is the gen generation X realization that, that waking up point of, Oh shit, the boss that I've been listening to and building my career the entire time has a vision that is going nowhere. And what do I do now when all I've ever done is look up to my boss? And you actually have to look down to the millennials that have that leadership spirit, have that drive. And for, again, it's not me saying that. That's the scientist and whatever social scientist saying that. And, and it's Gen X is going, okay, I'm in a leadership position. At what point am I going to reject what those above me have always said and start listening to what those below me have said? It's, it's like listening to your younger brother, younger sister. You're like, I, even if you're right, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Like I hear the right way from you, mouth, but it sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So disagreeable. Uh, yes, but I digress. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. So you've got, uh, you know, people resisting it saying it's too academic, but hasn't, hasn't research and testing things given us everything we have today? Well, so my, my, maybe this is a response, maybe it's not, but I, I, my rub on lean construction is the, over productization of the last planner system and, and sort of this oversimplifying what lean really is into this. Oh, well, if you just do these you know few things, then you're doing lean. It's like, well, not exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, that's a step one, but I would argue no. <laughs> and so I think, it, but because anything other than the last planner system is academic, I think that's why it gets that rub or that's why, that's why it gets, uh, yeah, it's, it's perceived that way. Um, but I think that there, there is so much, especially because of technology that through that intersection of what is agile software development and how that's it kind of injecting its way through software into the industry. I think that we're, we're consuming lean. We just don't even know it. Um, we're, we're consuming it in all these other ways and shapes and forms and, and through the apps that we use that folks may be using Trello and have no idea that it's based in all these Kanban and other, you know, origins, they're just using Trello. And so I think that's where we will see it great, get greater adoption and that the perception may always continue to be that lean is academic because it is the academic side of it. And that by the time you are implementing it, it's not actually called lean anymore. I don't know. That's called business. Yeah. Yeah. It's just called business. <laughs> and, and, and those with the lean designation should love that. Like we should celebrate that, right? It shouldn't be compartmentalized. It should just be embedded within what you do. But yeah. It's just part of business. I'll drink to that, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Drink. Drink. You said agile. So I had to drink, drink one for agile. Yep. One for lean, one for business, people entering the workforce now. And even some of the interns that I've gotten the privilege to speak to some high school students as well. They have no fear about adopting lean zero. They are fearless. The, at least the students that I've talked to, they, they learn some of these concepts in school and they hear about 
how things used to be. And they, and they probably also hear their parents complaining at nauseum of how not fun work is. Right. So, so they have this good realistic contrast, but what about those people in the middle that, that are a little bit older? They're not going anywhere. We have five generations working in construction, Nathan. What about the, the older generations that might be afraid of lean? What would you offer them as a good entry point to expand their horizon or just get a little exposure? That's not last planner system. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, my, my first question be, you know, like, let's really dive into what you're afraid of. Like that, that sounds like there's a lot more there to unpack. <laughs> you know, that's a whole therapy session right there. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, be, besides that fact of like unpacking, why do you want to do lean in the first place? I mean, like, it, it, cause there are a lot of different reasons I think why, uh, folks do adopt lean, you know, some of it, it is truly bottom dollar driven others. It's, it's more of like a, a kind of a cultural, um, just, you know, this is how uh, we want to drive our culture and that they have better retention and other things, you know, through that. I think that there are a lot of reasons why someone would want to adopt lean. And, and if, if the term lean, if the, if it creates too much of a stigma, just change the name of it. I mean, that, that's, or make up a new one. That's why I made up CDX, common data exchange. I mean, really all it is, is, you know, a work structuring framework for project data interoperability between systems. Um, and so it's, it's taking a lot of this stuff that is very academic and, and very lean, but by not saying the word lean and just, you know, creating little footnote references so that if anyone really wanted to dig, they can know that it is because they should know that it's lean. But I think if we actually underemphasize it and just kind of continue to spoon feed it <laughs> through technology, that we can have our cake and eat it too. And, and I'd actually like to talk more about the rift between lean and technology. And, and maybe that's, it. might've been, it might've been where you're going. <laughs> it's like, why is it still perceived like lean and technology can't be one in the same that you have to do it tactile for it to be lean. It can't be technology. Is it, do you feel like that's still, there's still those oh. that, that state that I know you don't agree with that. I just but... heard, I just heard that today. Like I did when the <laughs> pandemic hit, I mean, for people that don't know, I used to think, because that's how I learned that uh, you got to do it very tactile and, you know, reflecting back on this with my mentor, Jeff, Jeff Sutherland, he said, mm -hmm. you've got to give people the experience. That's the important thing. He's like, what the experience is, is not as important as the experience. Yeah. So whether it's like with physical paperwork or different technology, I mean, the, the paper or an iPad technology. with a really slick app on it. Yeah. yeah. Like as exactly. long as you're providing language the experience, is, even language, Nathan, is technology because you can't read my mind yet. Not yet. But I know you're thinking about it. <laughs> And so I think, I think you're onto something. There's definitely a rift between there's like a camp of people that think that it has to be completely analog. And then there's a camp that thinks it's not cutting edge or it's not good enough if it's not completely digital. Go ahead and unpack that a little bit. Yeah. And, and so I always look at, cause I, I strive to be digital and, and I'll give a, a quick backstory cause the, 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 construction, sorry, common data exchange, CDX, that we've developed through Construction Progress Coalition. Um, it, it started as, again, magnets, physical magnets on whiteboards because we were going to conferences and you do need that. I've, I've got, you know, uh, post notes right here that I still use analog because when you're in that free thought, the technology actually is a burden and it gets in the way. Um, but I think part of that is because the technology is not good enough to be better than what that analog alternative solution is. And so that, that tells me that technology needs to get better, to be more intuitive and more flexible for those scenarios so that it, it feels as if you're doing it in that analog state, but yet you're still getting the benefit of capturing that data and capturing their profile information, all those things that would have to be typed in by someone later when you're registering them, but it's, it's all, it's already registered. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of this. And the same reason why, you know, books that, uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff's red book and, and Steve Jobs biography and other, the, the dozen books that I've actually read in my career are all on my iPhone, all on my iBooks. And I love that I have that point of reference to go back to, and I have all those highlights to go back to and all that searchability. And there are folks that will tell me all day long and 10 times on Sunday that they have to have a paper book and they have to have that feeling because that's just, that's the experience that they get. And I get that. I, I can empathize with it. I just, I don't agree with it. Like I, I don't feel that. So I think half of it is recognizing when is that okay? And, and then when are other times when having that feeling is actually selfish and to the detriment of the team, because that's that whole you know balance of continuous improvement and respect for the individual. Like, yes, we should listen to the individual that's complaining about not liking what they're being forced to do. 
But do they actually understand why at a higher level, from a continuous improvement standpoint, we're doing this in the first place? And so it's like both can be right and both can be wrong at the same time. And it goes back to this dilemma of lean. And I think why people get so frustrated with it, because it isn't a cut and dry. It's, it's not Catholic uh, right and wrong. It's, it's very Buddhist uh, sort of <laughs> culture and mentality of, well, it depends. And, and a lot of the folks that are fixed mindset that need that yes, no answer, they don't like 50 shades of gray. They want that black and white. And that, again, is something that I can't help them. All I can say is the world is changing. So you can either go home and retire or you can change with it. I don't know. <laughs> it seems harsh, but I've kind of got to that point now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still very young, ladies and gentlemen. So, sorry, I'm not so sorry. Young. <laughs> he's already sorry, not sorry. Putting song lyrics in. This podcast has had everything. It's had song lyrics. It's had philosophy. It's had a way more psychology than I would have ever imagined. I love it. I love it, Nathan. Nathan, you have been a pleasure to have on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with us on technology, psychology, Spectrum AEC, and one more time, your, your nonprofit. Construction Progress Coalition. So yeah, let, let me know when I can come back. This has been a, a, a joy and a thrill to uh, have this conversation and uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing. I, I, I have to say, yeah, of, of all the lean podcasts, uh, I do listen to yours because uh, I feel like we're, we're closest aligned. I, I have a lot of grudges with the lean community as much as I empathize and love everyone there. I, I, as you can tell, I get frustrated as a millennial. <laughs> That's healthy. That, that means that there's it's, something. It's a healthy, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good drive. <laughs> And Construction Progress Coalition. I love it. It's a good ConstructionProgress.org. Yep. ConstructionProgress.org. Good place to find them. You're, you're giving back and you're sharing so much. And people, go find his YouTube channel. We'll have the, the links in the description below. So you can click on it, subscribe. There are some fascinating videos there. I watch their videos. I'm subscribed. So I recommend Nathan's work to everybody. Thank you for having me. It was great. And don't be so scared of the tech. It's inevitable. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build. <laughs>